Welcome to the Kingdom Corner Podcast, where we discuss how to live the kingdom culture on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus prayed. Here's your host, the great Matt Guy. Today I'm excited to begin the second season of the Kingdom Corner Podcast with our first podcast interview. I'm thrilled to have a young man with us today on the Kingdom Corner. I just ran across about two years ago, I believe it was July 2018. To be honest with you, when I first met this young fella, I was a bit skeptical. Here was a really young guy with a beard, a baseball hat turned backward, and a guitar slung over his shoulder, asking me to look at some of his teaching and online video classes. He was definitely enthusiastic as he contacted me several times. So finally, my curiosity got the best of me and I began to listen to some of his teaching. Immediately, I was amazed and in awe of the depth, confidence, and humility and heart of love he expressed. In my almost 50 years of teaching and ministry in the Word of God, I'd never heard someone so young as he was that seemed to have such revelation, yet also mixed with wisdom and humility and love beyond his years. Wow, he's still not even 30 years of age. He's young enough to be my son. And I found myself being awakened more and more spiritually as I listened to his teaching in a new depth that I'd never experienced before. A good way for me to explain it to the audience today is what it's like to have been in community with this young man for the past two years is to liken my spiritual life or trajectory like that of a rocket ship that's energized and propelled to new spiritual heights. I'd never before experienced or knew were even possible. It's kind of like that third booster rocket on that Saturn spaceship that sent the astronauts toward the moon and to the moon, racing towards the depths of knowledge and treasures in in, in eternity and the treasures of God. So having said all that, let me give you a little more specific detail about this young man. In 2018, he founded the King's Company, which I joined, in a full-time venture or launch. It was really a launch of faith, by the way, because he left a well-paid career in the Texas oil fields. He has held conferences across the nation, including the campus of Princeton University. He's written four books, of which I've read three of them two or three times. (laughs) And since the spring of 2020, he has launched the Kingdom Company Online School. And based on my research... There are about 90 hours of video and audio content on such subjects as spiritual gifts, spiritual warfare, stewarding one's finances, conquering or dethroning stress, and developing a sound mind, among many others. I counted, at least the way I count them, 12 to 17 major categories. It's great to have this young man here. It's a privilege and honor for me to introduce to you Mr. Tyler Frick. Pastor Tyler Frick from Fort Payne, Alabama. Hello, Tyler. How are you today? Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Yes, I'm excited you're here. Now, as I introduced, as I introduced you toward the end there, I mentioned what I believe sir, is the latest venture of the King's Company, and that's the King Company School that was launched this past spring, correct? That's correct. Can you tell us, tell the audience your story or process along the way of making the school a reality? Absolutely. What inspired, I'm sorry, what inspired you to start the school? 
Yes, that would be that'd be awesome. Thanks for the opportunity again for having me on your podcast. I think it is a wonderful podcast. I think that it, you know, your subscribers are continually blessed by your obedience to continue and bring revelation and wisdom and teaching. And so with that being said, I think my story really begins back when, you know, even when I was a kid, I grew up wanting to know more about the spiritual realm because I was surrounded by, you know, church and religion on one side, and then also surrounded by more of an unholy side of spirituality on the other. You know, my mom was a medium and then my grandparents were very consistent and dedicated um, church attenders at a church of Christ. And so I grew up in the church, but also grew up learning weird things about the spiritual realm that I probably shouldn't have learned or experienced. And it sent me on a personal internal search for more, right? Uh, Unfortunately, that led to drugs. It led to bad spiritual practices. It led to some pursuits that ended up you know, leading me to being 19 years old in a hotel room. Um, I was down to 110 pounds, five years into a meth addiction, and I was going to kill myself. And at that point, I reached out and basically prayed that, you know, God, if you're more than what I've experienced, then I need you to show me. And he did. And in that, in that one day, he set me free from addictions. He set me free from the spiritual issues that I had accumulated over time. And then he set me free really from myself, from mental issues that I had. I know that even that week, two weeks leading up to that moment, I began to actually hear voices speaking to me, harassing me. You know, I would hear them thinking that they're in hotel rooms on the other side of the wall. Um, I could hear people speaking through walls, but it wasn't real. It was demonic. It was possibly fallen angelic. And so when that took place and when that happened, you know, I, it, it was a learning curve, but that learning curve stopped when I prayed and when Jesus met me there and he set me free from all of it, um, which began a whole new level of learning. And that learning is what led to the King's Company. So once I was set free, I had one big question on my heart, and that is, who is this Jesus that has been misrepresented? <laughs> because the, the Jesus that I thought was in the Bible is... I was wrong. There's so much more to him. And, and who is this Jesus who delivers and heals and sets free and protects and is spiritually powerful and is not dead and is not just words in a book that, you know, some people understand and some people don't, that there's so much more. And so I began to study. I began to learn and I began to take risks of faith and risks in leading and just different things. You know, over time, we I didn't know that I was a teacher, but I knew that I loved God and I knew I loved the study. I think it was probably in 2015 when we had been going to a small group at a, you know, a church that was there in Midland, Texas, and the small group needed to come to a close at the location that they were at, which was some friends of ours house. And they said that they had prayed and they felt that God had showed them that that small group should move to our house. And that I should lead it. And that was the first time that I had ever really been given an opportunity to lead anything, you know, biblical kingdom, you know, lead Christians closer to God. And so it was, it was a moment of humility, but it was also a moment of what in the world am I going to do? But shortly after, probably in our third week of 
having that small group at our house, we had grown to, I think, 23 people in those three weeks that were meeting in our living room and God was moving. He was pouring out. Uh, We began to experience healings. We began to experience miracles. We began to see spiritual gifts activated. Uh, And this group, you know, oddly enough, was actually a part of a denominational circle that doesn't believe in gifts and healing and miracles. And so when those things began to break out, the whole group was like, we don't know what this is. We need to study it out. And so we did. Those studies, those experiences are what led to putting on conferences and putting, you know, going into places like Princeton University to teach on spiritual gifts and on deliverance and those type of things. So once we did that for, you know, a few years, I knew there's got to be more to this. And although I had been developing a very, you know, I would say profitable, secure career in the oil field, I wanted to be full-time in ministry. I didn't, I didn't think it looked like pastoring a church, but I knew it looked like something. And so then when we came to 2018, the Lord had actually given me a, a green light to say, it's time you can step out of this career of the oil field and you can launch the King's company. And so that's exactly what we did. And that's what, you know, began 2018, like you said, and that's what brought us to where we're at today. Wow. That's quite a story. I just want to go back. I'm going to interject something here that I was going to ask you later, because I think um, you really hit on something that's dear to my heart. And I'm just going to quote from one of your books here, The Heart of Conviction, because I was reading this this morning, and I think it applies. If anyone seeks to enter the kingdom of God, he must believe on Jesus, receiving him personally. Of course, the gospel of Christ is the vehicle that delivers the faith-based reality of the person of Jesus to the unbeliever. And uh, you go on to say about people who've never met the Lord personally and developing a friendship and relationship with him. I think, don't you think that there's a real gulf? Like you mentioned, you were part of the Church of Jesus Christ. You went there, Church of Christ. And I was raised in a church since I was a toddler. But don't you think there's a real gulf between people who are really have experienced Jesus and between the organized church today, don't you think there's a real gulf or a real, you know, there's a real divide there? Yeah, I I think there is a divide. And I think that's exactly what the enemy wants to see that that's the war, you know, that the enemy wants us to be waging is a war against each other. And I think that when it comes to you know, what, how do we explain that biblically? I just, I immediately think of second Corinthians chapter 10, where it talks about strongholds. You know, it says that we have been given power to demolish strongholds, but then it goes on to say, and in a description of what a stronghold is, says every argument and pretension set up against the knowledge of God. And the truth is that there's, there's one true knowledge of God. It's ever expanding in the hearts of believers but there's only one, there's only one truth, you know? And when we look out and see thousands upon thousands of denominations, we've got to ask, how did, how did these people who all believe in the same God, the same Jesus, you know, for the majority, for the most part, get so caught up in their selves and what they believe to the point that we can't do life with each other. And I think, so that divide is what we know is more accurate or beneficial than what you know. 
And that's really what causes that divide. You know, whether it's a doctrinal issue or a theology issue or whether it's a lifestyle issue, I've had people who are just scared to be around me because I believe that God will heal people mm. when I lay hands on them. Well, we don't want to be around that. We don't, you know, we don't know if that's from God or not. So they didn't even want to be around me. At the same time, I've had people who, you know, they didn't believe in healing, but God healed somebody in front of their eyes and they said, wow, there's more to this, to, to this than we thought. And, you know, I think when we, when we get so caught up in what we think we know instead of who we know, Mm -hmm. then that divide is going to increase. But when we release what we think we know and just dive deeper into really learning more about who we know, which is Jesus, that divide is going to dissolve. And so that, I mean, that would be, that would be my goal is not to say we need to figure out what's right, a hundred percent right. Theologically, Mm -hmm. we need to find the, you know, the most perfect knowledge, which of course in the King's company, we're going to teach what we believe is hundred percent accurate. But when we put down the divides of knowledge and understanding and argument, then we, we build, or actually we don't build, we remove the strongholds that separate us from pursuing Christ together, if that makes sense. So when that power that we have to demolish strongholds is we've got to be able to look at each other across whatever denominational or cultural or religious divide may be there and say, what strongholds are holding me back from loving Jesus and pursuing Jesus and knowing Jesus with this person who's different than me in whatever way we think. And if we see, well, there's a wall of this argument or there's a wall of that pretension or that misunderstanding, how do we level those out and say, look, Jesus is the most important thing we can be paying attention to right now. How can we pursue him together regardless of whatever differences we think we have? I think that's, you know, the longest answer probably ever to what you asked me, but I, you know, I have a big heart for seeing some healing in that area. No, that's good. I think not to belabor the point, but I, I do think with the kingdom corner and the people that listen here, I do think we can't emphasize enough how to have all the knowledge, and there's a lot of knowledge, though some of it's definitely wrong, of the Bible and of spiritual principles devoid of experience really doesn't amount to much. I mean, mm-hmm. The Pharisees and the Sadducees in Jesus' day, I think, you know, even Paul, they knew the law, but they didn't really know the heart and intent of the law when Jesus came, so they missed him. And I think that's, I see that as a a main focus of King's Company is to bring people into a vital, heartfelt living relationship with Jesus. That's, That's what I see part of your mission. So that's just my thought. Yeah, I would, I would say, you know, and this is probably one of those dividing issues in the church. You know, some people would say it's all about the word. It's not about your experience. Others will say, because of my experience, I can understand the word. And if I look at scripture from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's no way I can read the scripture, understand the stories, and then say experience has nothing to do with it. I mean, think about how Moses experienced God in the, in the burning bush that didn't actually burn, right? Right. And when Samuel experienced a voice calling out to him as a young child in, in Eli's house and all these things leading up, you know, Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration, 
or the people at the wedding when the water turned to wine, all those experiences stirred up the question, who is this Jesus? Leading them to eventually understanding he is the Christ. He's the anointed Messiah, not just of Israel, but you know, later the, the mystery being revealed that is for Israel and the nations, for the whole world. And so I think it's, I think it's important to understand that experiences in the kingdom of God and in Christ should stir us to become closer to him, but it's going to stir unbelievers as well. And I think that the number one vehicle that God wants to use for us to experience his power and his love is that of community. If I, if I experience God by myself, then my testimony of what happened is only going to go so far. I mean, it could go far, but it's only going to go so far. If there's 20 or 30 of us that together experience a move of God or the power of God or the revelation of God in some way, and we all can testify of that, how much further is that testimony going to go? And so I, I think that God wants to pour out powerful experiences combined with the word and revelation knowledge in communities to change the world and to bring people closer to Jesus and to really establish the principles of his spiritual kingdom on the earth. Wow. Experiences plus the word plus community. So that would take me back to if you can give us a couple of examples or maybe testimonies of people that are presently involved in the school and how that's changing and transforming their lives now. Can you think of, uh, of some people you could, or instances you could, for the audience, so we can uh, kind of ignite uh, maybe a desire to check this out further? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the most recent has been, we had a lady who is, I believe she's in New York, And she just joined our nine-month program to become a kingdom life coach. Mm. And so when anyone joins that program, of course, they're going to go through the school, but they're also going to be assigned a one-on-one coach. And we assigned her to one of our coaches whose name is Justin. Mm. And she came in, of course, saying, look, I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to get equipped and I want to lead people. But on the second call, she gets delivered of multiple demonic issues. And in that, you know, there was, there was a big tie to it that had, I'll just put it this way, that there were some things related to it that were financial, right? And there was some instruction given by the coach for how to pray and really, you know, address this, both the heart issue, but also the material issue of the financial problem. That by the time that third call happened, there was such a financial miracle in her life that, I mean, the, the coach ends up calling me and he's explained this to me. Like, look, she is totally overwhelmed right now at just the power, not, I mean, not even of the teachings and, and, and the coachings, but just the power of God moving in favor in her life because she said yes to stepping into her mandate. That's one of the biggest ones. I think also one of the biggest miracles in my mind that I can think of, uh, and this is not just one person, it's multiple people, but it's when people come alive in Christ and recognize, look, I'm not, I'm not just called to be on the pew, but God's actually put things in me, ideas, maybe businesses, maybe creativity. And one of the biggest miracles that I see 
is when a believer who's almost given up on trying gets drawn back to the heart of the Father, equipped and empowered to lead, and then turns and begins to create multiple avenues of content to lead other believers closer to Christ. And when that person is, number one, awakened back to the relationship with God in an in a extremely powerful way, but then also developing in creative abilities to see what has been deposited in them from God, pull more and more people towards God, that's a miracle to me. Because there are millions of people across the planet in every nation who love God, but never walk in creative potential. They never walk in leadership mm-hmm. and they never walk this out because they feel that that's, that it's not for them. It's not their lot in life. It's not their cup. It's not their portion. They feel that, you know, God's already done these things for me. As long as I can just, you know, try to do good, that'll be enough. And I don't feel like that is full potential, but when people begin to step up and lead and step up and minister and step up and create. And we see reformation happening from the inside out, like grassroot movements and micro churches and micro communities that are changing the world. Those are miracles to me. And we, we literally see that happen all the time in the King's company. Wow. That's really exciting. And I think to kind of put the, uh, hit the nail on the head even more See, I, I've been a part of the company, too, for a couple of years. And remember, you remember down there in Tampa in, uh, I think that was March of 2018, 2019, 2019. Mm-hmm. That's where God really began to touch the gentleman you mentioned, Justin. And he got healed of a lot of hurts from past experiences with other Christians and churches and other things. And his, like you said, He's taken off spiritually, and he's ministering in new ways. He's ministering at the King's Company. And then because of that being transformed in his own life, he was able to be a vessel to bring transformation to the woman. And I think that's so beautiful. I mean, that's a beautiful testimony, not only for her, but for him. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's right. I think it's all about, I mean, and this may sound cliche, but it's about how consistently can you carry the presence of God in your words, in your actions, and in your revelation, in your speech, right? All that stuff. Because, you know, even people who say amazing things, or maybe they preach an amazing message, we've seen story after story where where people do those things. Man, that person could really preach a message, but they went home and beat their wife or were drunkards, or something like something else was happening behind the scenes. What I like to see is consistency in carrying and hosting the presence of God in multiple areas of their life over a long period of time. And I I feel like what, what the King's Company does, not only through education, not only through coaching, but through that community and the ongoing community is it builds a place of accountability where people are comfortable enough to be vulnerable and transparent about what needs to change, what needs to grow, what needs to be put under more disciplinary scrutiny, if you will, like personally and stuff. You know, even as a leader, um, as the founder of the King's Company, I know multiple times I've brought personal things that I wanted to improve to the community and said, hey guys, here's what I'm dealing with. 
And I want you guys to have my back as we grow and as we change and as we move forward. And, you know, we, it happens, you know, there's never once has anybody in the King's company come and, and presented something in transparency and vulnerability and been attacked for it. In fact, if that happened, we'd shut it down. <laughs> but, you know, it's one of the most beautiful things I think that happens when not just in the King's company, but in real kingdom community, when people actually come together, love each other, have purpose together and are walking that out, there's, there's just more opportunity to grow through the thick and the thin, the success, the failures, you know, the whole package deal. And that's what I love to see. You're talking about some amazing things again for me, because I'm a man in my, in my 60s, and I don't think 10 years ago this would have been possible just because we do, wouldn't have the technology we do today. And there are other friends of mine who would um, be skeptical of this because it's, quote unquote, an internet community. And yet I see more relationship, more vulnerability, like you talk about, more closeness in community. And it's sad to say this than in some of the churches that I've been in in my region. And I think a lot of people that come to King's Company kind of been in the same boat and went through the same things. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, being that it's online definitely has its viewpoints and, you know, things that we, that we work through with people. But overall, we're reaching people in every state of the United States, people who have hearts for God, want to lead, want to grow. Right now, we actually have people being trained up in a majority of every state in the United States. Wow. And I, I, you know, I think about a hundred years ago, how could that happen? You know, other than everybody comes together for maybe a conference and then travels back to where they were. But I mean, we get to do that every day, multiple times a day, you know, and, and to see that and the fruit of that is, that's incredible for me. You know, that's, that's what I like to see. Um, I think another big piece is, although it's online, do you know how many people have been challenged to be better, even though it's online community, and then held accountable for that? So even, you know, the coaches, they may say, hey, I really want you to focus more on, you know, this certain area of your life, maybe resting. Maybe they recognize, hey, this person is doing so much, trying so much. They're so busy that their heart is becoming stubborn or, you know, something's happening that's putting them in a position where they might fail, they might fall, they might get hurt. And what they really need to do is rest in the Lord. And, you know, when somebody who's like a coach can say, hey, look, you're doing amazing things, but you need to rest. And then they hold them accountable and they do rest. And, and a, what would I say, a, a huge maybe midlife crisis or obstacle in ministry is avoided and thwarted because there was somebody who cared enough to actually disciple you. Mm. Just kingdom culture wise, one of the biggest things I think could use some repairing is the role of pastoring and the role of discipleship and actually shepherding people. And when you've got a handful of people or less trying to lead and pastor and disciple a church of hundreds of people, it's tough. It's tough on the pastors, but it's also tough on the people because the demand and the supply are not equal. You know what I mean? And where, the, where there's too much demand, there's not enough supply or where there's a whole lot of supply and not enough demand. 
like too many chiefs and not enough Indians type of thing. Those can be big problems. One thing that I've seen that's actually beneficial about the King's Company is that as we train people up, we can then assign these people. Like right now, we've got coaches who are coaching four or five people at a time. The burden of coaching four or five people can be heavy because these people might have multiple things going on in their life that they need wisdom, counsel, insight, prayer, intercession, prophetic leadership, all those kind of things over. But at the same time, because it's four or five, they're actually getting pastored. They're actually getting discipled. They're getting that leadership and it's benefiting them, but it's not overwhelming the leader. So those are just some of the, some of the things that I see that are, I think, transformational that are happening, even though it's online. Well, I think the next question I had kind of segues into what you're talking about. I said in the beginning of introducing you that you, you, I was drawn to you and it awakened a spiritual hunger and desire in me that I didn't even know that I had. And I felt like I was in a pretty good place at the time, but it even awakened something deeper within me. And I, I know that you're talking about the community and how people get their needs met there. And another thing I find interesting about an internet community is a lot of times I've seen them in the past where people will come and be there a while and then they leave. But I think there's such a, a drawing of the spirit and such love there that people stay there. You know, some people leave like any place else. But can you take the listeners through maybe the process about when you knew, I think this is part of your calling too, when you knew you had that ability, I'd say to awaken that in people, that extra spiritual dimension, maybe that they didn't know they had? I think, I think I know what you're asking. And I think the best way to say how that was realized in my life is when it happened to me. You know, there was, there was a leader in my life who said, Hey, I see some things in you. And I want to tell you about what the word says about those things that I see in you. And of course, it was spiritual gift related. They laid hands on me, they prophesied into my life, and then they created opportunity for me to move in those gifts. And when that happened, I went from, you know, I went from moving real slow, like at a snail's pace to soaring high, like an eagle over situations and, and moving faster in ministry. And so when I saw that, I said, you know, what was the key to me going from, you know, a slow snail's pace to being full throttle, you know, moving in gifts and leading for God. And it was that somebody saw something in me and did something about it. They saw something in me, they called it out, they laid hands, and then they created opportunity for me to move in those gifts. And so at the King's Company, that's what we're doing. We want to identify, equip, and then I I say employ or commission. We want to create opportunity for people to actually move in those gifts and do it. And so I would say that, yeah, that turning point was when somebody did that for me. They saw me, they called it out. They created opportunity, and then the Holy Spirit moved upon my obedience to step into that opportunity. For me as a leader, I can identify and teach all day, but until I create an opportunity for somebody to do more than what they know they can do, they'll never have an opportunity to act in a way that the Holy Spirit can supply grace to, and then they'll find out their 
in Christ, they're way more capable than they ever thought they were. Wow. Again, I would say when I came to King's Company, that's one of the first things I realized about you. You have a different spirit, and it's it's where you want to push other people ahead, and you're not concerned with creating the King's Company kingdom of Tyler Frick. You're concerned of with seeing other people pushed out in their ministries. That's what you want to do. And again, I have to say it's it's a sad thing in a lot of the church today that it's not like that. It's wonderful for us in the King's Company that you had that kind of tutelage and mentorship from somebody else that wasn't afraid to speak into your life that way and begin to raise you up. And I think that's so important, you know, and I think that's a ingredient that's missing in the church today. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew that when we named the King's Company, it was prophetic in the sense that, I mean, even our, our logo, it's, it's a chess piece, but it's kind of a merging of the king and the queen chess pieces. And on the king side is purple, the queen side is white, and they're merged together as one. And that in itself paints a picture that the bride in white, which is the church, is being merged and fused together, right, in a, a bond that can be broken, right, a marriage covenant with the king, who is the king of every kingdom. He's over every kingdom, right? And um, we're making strategic moves like a chess piece would, making strategic moves across the earth. And when, when I did that, I wanted to see that consistently to remind me that I'm not the king. Jesus is the king. No matter how big this grows, no matter how far we reach, Jesus is the king. We're the church. And we have got to be submissive to the head. The moment that we begin to do things our own way or seek to receive any kind of glory on our own is the moment we begin shooting ourselves in the foot and become prideful. And mm -hmm. So, yes, I would, I would, you know, I'm thankful that you see that, you know, it's not building the kingdom of Tyler because Jesus is definitely the king. Okay, so this is again the great Matt Guybe with the Kingdom Corner podcast. And our special first guest of the second season, Tyler Frick from Fort Payne, Alabama. And we're going to go into a couple questions and then wrap this up. It's been a really awe-inspiring and revelatory interview, I think. So I want to get into a couple things, and it'll lead to some more thoughts, I think. I think when I came into the King's Company, one of the first classes I took, and one of the first books I've read, I've probably read it four times now and taught out of it myself. It's my favorite book. You've written four books is the Mind Traffic book, the Mind Traffic book. Now, can you explain? I've always wanted to know kind of how that came into existence. What did you just happen to come upon that scripture in Timothy and it stood out to you one day and you began to research it or? Kind of take us through how that worked out. Sure. So I think that the moment when I got healed of the mental issues that I was having and the spiritual issues that I was having, from that moment, I wanted 
number one, to understand it for myself. And the more I learned to understand it for myself, I wanted other people to have the opportunity to experience what I did. In ministry, you consistently see people who struggle with mental health, spiritual health. You know, their families are sometimes in bad shape because of the way that they're thinking, treating people. And, you know, if I had it my way, I would want to be able to just say the magic words and people be healed the same way that I was, you know, but it doesn't always happen that way. Um, Now I have prayed for people who had severe, you know, anxiety, depression, PTSD, schizophrenia, things of that nature, and they've been healed and they never went back to it. They got off their medicine, everything. But sometimes I pray for people and that doesn't happen. The book is my, I wanted to, I wanted to create an opportunity for people to learn the scriptural principles behind being free, spirit, heart, soul, mind, and body. And I wanted people to understand what it really looks like in the spiritual realm when people do get set free. There's something that happens in the spirit. There's something that happens in the soul, something that happens in the mind and even in the body, right? And that was, it's God's plan that the power and the authority of Jesus and what he did on the cross would remove the results of sin and death in the world, whether it's sickness, illness, you know, even wrong thinking. And so when I wrote that book, I asked the Lord to give me keys that would set people free, Mm. to give me an understanding that was logical for the logical people, spiritual for the more mystical people, right? And then relational for people who want to see how does this really make sense in community. And so when I wrote the book, I feel that it does reach a logical mind, but it Mm. also reaches a relational mind. And it also reaches not mystical in the negative sense, but, you know, we, we serve a God who is spirit. (laughs) So it's kind of hard to not have a spiritual relationship with what we learn and with who we know and who we are really growing in a love relationship with. So does that answer your question? Yes. Just to clarify for the listeners, I'm talking about a book that Tyler wrote, Mind Traffic, that's based on uh, 2 Timothy 1, 6, and 7. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. And that's the book centers on that scripture. Oh, there's a lot of beautiful word studies in here. I th- the thing I loved, because I, when I first opened the book and read the introduction, it reminded me of when I was in India. There are no really traffic rules there. Everybody drives everywhere they want to. So if you come to an intersection, you could get massacred if you weren't careful. And that's kind of the way the book opens up. Because Christians, I think this has been a real weakness in the church, that they don't know how to have a sound mind. Pastors tell them to read the scripture. Oh, it's right there. It's a promise for you. But they don't know really how to do that. And their mind is just like that intersection in India, all jumbled up, all kind of things running through it. And you not only bring out, like you said, things for the logical mind, but you cannot read that book without having your spirit really tuned into it to get the full impact of it. That's, that's what I've come to learn. You know, you have to have your spirit turned into it, tuned into it. I'm sorry. Um, just going to go one thing here, if I can find it. Okay. 
We're talking about a sound mind restores a broken heart. It says on page 13, the heart inspired mind we receive in Christ, a mind that is saved, delivered, healed, sane, collected, powerful, and in control. And I think this process goes beyond, you know, what the average church teaches. And there's even, uh, and I'm not trying to put it down. It works for some people. It's worked for me a little bit. But it goes beyond what we see out there in what they call now sozos. People have sozos. And I think you put something together with that that really makes it complete. So that's what I see. So you have a comment on that? Yeah, I do. I think a lot of people want the soul to be healed, right? And that's a good thing, right? We want our soul to be healed because our soul is going to be our mind, our will, our emotions, our character. And that's where people have a majority of the issues in life, um, whether it's even emotional or thought related. However, between the spirit and the soul is the heart. You know, even in Hebrews, it says that the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, which is the heart. Um, it says of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So if the word of God is piercing the heart and the heart is in that place of dividing the spirit and the soul, then we've got to think, hey, although our spirit's been redeemed by Christ, is seated with him in heavenly places, and our soul has stepped into the freedom that comes with atonement, that in between place, how do we get to where our spirit is more constantly and consistently influencing the way we think, feel, decide, and act. And that's going to happen in the heart. And of course, there is that one incredible word that we see in scripture in that verse in 2 Timothy, um, where it says that, you know, we haven't been given a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound mind, self-control, self-discipline, depending on the translation you read. But that word for sound mind and self-control in Greek is sophronismos. And so Fronis Moss is the descriptive word of a, of a mind that's capable of curbing its own impulses and desires out mm-hmm. of error and into truth. And it's not just the result of sozo, but it's also the result of a mended heart. Even taking that, that word back to its roots, the two primary root words of Sophronis Moss are sozo and then fren. Sozo means healed, saved, and delivered. And then fren, which is P-H-R-E-N means the midriff, the diaphragm, the faculty of perceiving and judging, and Mm. the parts of the heart. And so even in there, we we see that, you know, when we're saved, behold, we've become a new creation. All things have become new. In that process of becoming new, our hearts are being changed. So as we go through life, we have the Holy Spirit here to comfort and lead us and guide us. We should be listening to the Holy Spirit as he helps us walk in a mended heart. And the more we do that, it's going to change the way we think, feel, decide, and act. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The the Bible talks about thoughts and intentions of the heart. And we know that there are judgments, there's ideas, there's decisions that we can make in our heart that we don't talk about, right? If you, you, just like the word says, if you murder somebody in, in your heart, you hate someone in your heart, then you've committed murder, right? Or if you lust after someone in your heart, You've committed adultery. How do we get our heart so mended with the help of the Holy Spirit that our mind becomes capable of curbing 
all these impulses and desires, the temptations, the tactics of the enemy, how do we pull from that, away from that, resist it, stay out of error, and align ourselves with the truth? Hmm. So good. I mean, I think when you when a Christian goes through that process that you just described, it talks about later on in the book, choosing between your intuitive and conscious thoughts. That was a big one for me, too. Now we're at that point where our mind is clear and we really know the difference between what's inputting us, whether it's fallen angels or demons like you talk about, whether our negative emotion or whatever it is. And we can we can clearly make choices because we've went through that process, don't you think? I do. I think life is an ongoing, perpetual, consistent series of choices and the result of those choices whether those consequences be good or bad, right? The heart, the way we teach it in the book and also in the class is that the heart is kind of broken into two sides. You have the conscious and then the intuitive. The conscious obviously is going to be those thoughts that we think in present time that stir up the thoughts in our minds that we speak out of our mouth, present time, day to day, moment to moment. But the intuitive thoughts are going to be those thoughts that have been developed over time with ideas beliefs. Um, We can look at core beliefs and core belief systems, like maybe what we've learned from our parents when we were children, peers, Mm. religious leaders, or spiritual leaders as we've grown through the years. And the ways that we've developed our ideas, our judgments, our thinking, our belief, all those things, it's kind of going to, it's going to hang out there subconscious because, you know, back in the back of our head, kind of, you know, the spinal cord meets the brain, There's something called a reciprocal activating system. And it's where, you know, as our eyes look day to day, moment to moment, everything that we look at that is words, we can't help but read. You can't look at a billboard and not read it. Even if you don't want to read it, your mind's automatically reading it. Colors, lights, sounds, movements. Our minds are taking, our brains, our physical brains are taking in millions and millions of pieces of data from moment to moment. And something's got to sort that out. Something's got to filter out so we, you know, we're not focusing on everything. Could you imagine Mm -hmm. if we had to think about breathing while we think about every single color that's in front of us, reading every word that's in front of us? Like there would be some, I don't think our brains are really capable of that, you know? Mm -hmm. So what that does, that physical piece is it filters it for us. And it does that through a partnership with the heart and with that intuitive thinking, the subconscious thinking, when we've already made judgments that we are confident in, then when we see things, you know, in agreement with those judgments, we don't have to consciously rethink about it. Uh-uh. Right. However, you know, when, when we're presented with an idea that combats an idea or judgment or something, we believe that reciprocal activating system is going to point our attention to that thing because it's conflicting with what we believe. That reciprocal activating system is a physical part of your body that wants to prove all of your beliefs right consistently all the time. So if you're like, man, I really love red cars and I want to get a red car, all of a sudden you're going to start seeing red cars around town. Or you've, you know, you've probably purchased some newer vehicles throughout your life. You get a new car and then guess what? You begin to see that car everywhere. Why? Because that reciprocal activating system begins to bring to your awareness what is most relative to your conscious thinking from moment to moment. Well, we we do that spiritually too. And we do that as we develop our thinking and as we're taught 
And so what happens is what we need to do is sometimes relook at what we've decided, what we believe, those ideas we trust. And we need to say, what if I, what if I did that wrong? What if I misunderstood that? What if I re- really need to rethink that? What if I have bypassed and overlooked opportunities subconsciously because my brain and my mind said, I don't need to relook at that. When really, if I would have relooked at it, it would have caused me to actually bypass the obstacle or the consequence that I'm now walking in. If I only would have listened and wouldn't have been so stubborn, right? And that's why even, you know, pride, hardness of heart, the definition of that hardness of heart is stubbornness. When your heart is hard, it's stubborn to relearn. But when your heart is being softened by God, it means that you're willing to relearn. So, you know, in the book and in the course, we talk about how to rejudge wrong intuitive thinking Mm. by working with the Holy Spirit on reanalyzing judgments and intuitive thinking that we've established over time. Wow. You know, I just wrap this one up by saying with this book, I think every Christian needs to own it and read it several times. There's a gentleman I met all back in the fall and I see him every once in a while. I met him at the coffee shop I go to and I gave him a copy of this and he was on, he's a Christian, but he was on, cause you go into this. He was on meds for depression and he's since got rid of all his meds and he's found that he didn't really, he thought, Oh, I need him because of my chemistry of my body's messed up. However, he's had no problems. And I attribute the revelations you received in this book. God really set him free from that depression and his, his life has moved really forward now. So, I mean, I, everybody needs to get this book, mind traffic by Tyler Frick. I think it's on Amazon, right? It's definitely on Amazon. And then I, you know, this is what I've been really wanting to ask you. And I came across it in this book. I think it, you touched on it. Then I think we'll be, we'll probably be done, but I got to ask you this. I'm reading out a prevailing soul. I thought this, I thought of this question and I had written it out and then it's kind of, you touch on it in here. And I'm going to read a couple things. Prevailing soul, page 103. All the intellect in the world is not, is only as strong as the revelation that quickens it. Revelation comes to those who seek it. Neither young adults nor our parents will ever find joy in other, any other place than the Father's love where revelation flows. There's no true everlasting joy outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. So you've established that point that revelation has to come with a relationship with the Father. And then on the next page, this is what I want to get into. It ties into that. I see, and you're part of this generation, our millennials rising up with voices that will change the course of history. I see boldness and truth being birthed forth in my generation. I'm believing for it, praying that God would begin to ramp up his influence in the minds of millennials all over this country. In the past, the silence of the American church spoke loud in admitting its choice to allow the enemy a foothold in shaping our culture. We didn't get where we are today by making healthy choices. The Church of America, I'm jumping, jumping down, has never fully understood the influence we carry as believers to empower this nation. And then the last part, God is still the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. He is a God of multiple, that's the one I like, generations. 
He works in lengthy time spans, taking all the years that is needed for us to realize our failures and adjust our postures. But the message of unity in this perfect message of the gospel bears fruit when those who believe in it begin to represent their zeal by taking action and loving others. I want to read this last part. We must begin to touch the world with our hands, speak life into to it with our mouths. We can raise this country from a place of death, uproar, and division, but it's going to take a people who are willing to take action, start loving on others with hands-on examples of unity. America is not dead. She is only sleeping. Wow, there's several things here. First of all, on September 22nd, 2020, the state that, you, you know, so much has happened in the last few months, the state that you see our nation in with the riots, COVID-19, the fires that may or may not have been started by radicals, and unemployment, it's just seems like we're out of control with the elections coming up that could be very volatile. Do you still think that's a true message for now? Absolutely. And here's why. The Greek word for riot or uproar is thoribos. It's T-H-O-R-Y-B-O-S. That word thoribos, if you were to do a Greek word study in scripture, every time that there was a riot, an uproar, or this thoribos in uh, the New Testament, it was right after somebody or right before somebody was raised from the dead, healed, delivered, or a miracle took place. Sometimes the the riot comes before and the miracle thwarts the riot. The other times, someone gets raised from the dead and people go nuts and there's a riot, right? And so, but this thoribos, this rioting, is always tied back to a major opportunity. And the Lord showed it to me like this. You, you see a blacksmith working with metal and it takes his torch and he begins to heat the metal if he wants to bend it and manipulate it. So let's say he wants to bend it and make change to this piece of metal. He'll take that heat and put the fire on the metal until it begins to glow. And if you've ever seen hot metal glowing, you know what's actually happening if we look at it more on like a scientific thing, just like, you know, ice is, it, you know, or water can be ice, water, or steam, right? So solid, liquid, or gas. And when you heat something that's solid, like metal, what it does is the molecules that are in that solid begin to flow more easily, right? And because those molecules can flow more easily, it, it's not that it's becoming a liquid totally, but it's in between a solid and a liquid. And so that blacksmith can then bend it. And what I, what I wrote in the book and what I still believe is really happening today is that God, as our blacksmith, is heating up. Mm. this nation to create an opportunity for radical change. Now those molecules in our nation as it's being heated are these people and people are running back and forth and there's, there's chaos and they're those, they're being more loose. We went from being very like structured, everybody's doing the mundane day-to-day thing to now people sense a sense of freedom, but also a sense of fear and also a sense of rebellion and also a sense of patriotism. And all these things are beginning to run around each other as God, the blacksmith, is getting ready to bend this nation into a new shape. And it's a good thing. He's transforming the nation. And so what we've got to realize is that in the midst of this time, 
this cerebos, this uproar, this riot is creating an opportunity for radical change. And if we will trust the Lord and what he's doing, I believe we're going to see some major things move in not only this nation, but in the whole world. I think that, you know, as America changes, we'll see effects globally. That's good. And then I want to kind of segue into my question. You and I have kind of talked ourselves before about it a little bit. You know, in the midst of my transformation this past two years and the the new things that God has awakened in my heart to um, direct my calling and ministry toward, I think it's really been highlighted in the past six months. I've been going out to other churches. I was mainly in one church throughout the years, different churches, but one church teaching within the four walls. But I've been had opportunities to go out to multiple churches and teach. So that's I'm kind of bringing them new truth based on what I've learned and how I've been inspired. But one thing that's really been on my heart that God has highlighted in the last few months, and I never expected it, is I'm of the baby boomer generation. You're talking about millennials. Then you talk about multiple generations. I think I get so grieved sometimes because if I hadn't been curious to, like I said in the beginning, to listen to what you had to say, I wouldn't be where I am today. And I get grieved because I think a lot of people in my shoes that are my age, pastors, lay people, people that are good Christians, they wouldn't give a young person like you the time of day. And I just, I just think that's part of what we're talking about when we say that God has to give people revelation. And I just, what are your thoughts on that? I think the church, there's so much to be done yet in the area of unity, not just, not just with race, but with also with bringing the ages together. There's no, as what Bill Johnson said, there's no junior Holy Spirit. Your own children, I think, you have young children. I think you have the freedom that if, if God was moving on them, they could speak a word into your life. I, I think that's an element that's missing today. I hope my question hasn't been all over, but that's what I really wanted to touch on. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the wisdom of the old is definitely being or needs to be merged with the zeal of the young. And when we do that, what we get is we break out of a cycle or a cyclical pattern of relearning the same things that a past generation has already learned. You know, when we don't pass down the principles of what we've learned and what we've come out of, then how are we going to continue to grow? You know, if nobody ever shares, hey, this is what we did wrong. This is how we grew. Don't do this and walk in this. If the old doesn't tell the young, how are we going to change? How are we going to not fall into the same traps? At the same time, those who are zealous may take greater leaps of faith because of what we've seen. So for instance, there may be people around your age who say, you know, the best thing we can do is we just need to stick to what we've been doing and we need to reach people right here in our community. And then you've got some younger guy, maybe like myself, who says we need to reach people in the community, but while we're at it, let's launch this thing across the world and see how many we can reach everywhere else. And there's wisdom in both, right? And if some of like your generation, like what you're doing right now, podcasting and taking things, instead of just being right there in your community, you're grabbing hold of some of the technology 
partnering with the zeal of some of these younger guys who are all tech savvy and all that and learning how to launch the revelations that you have to people so that they can run with them. And I think that's what it is. It's a little bit of passing the baton off, but at the same time, it's there's, there's purpose for it. I think that although Christ has already done, you know, the work is finished, the revelation of how God is moving the church forward is continually changing. He takes mm-hmm. us from glory to glory. He's still doing new things by revealing it to prophets. And I think that as the church continues to develop and grow and go from season to season, from glory to glory, we've got to be willing to have the conversations back and forth so that we don't relive the patterns. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that. I think that baby boomers, Generation X and all the in-betweens have, you know, Generation Y and the millennials and the Z. I think all of us need to look at what can we learn from each generation. And, you know, one of the things that needs to probably not happen is that the older generation continually mock the younger generations. You know, they're terrible. Who, you know, it's the, the generation that didn't get whoopings, right? <laughs> when they were kids. And like, I, I agree with some of those principles, right? But at the same time, and then the younger can't look at the old and say, they're just full of tradition. They need to, you know, we're not going to do what they did because we can do it our own way. There's some things that if we don't, you know, if we just totally ignore what the older generations have done, then we, we we're set back at the same time. If the older generation is prophesying negatively over the younger generations, then it's putting up walls that we're going to have to break through in the spirit to even progress. So I think unity, 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 and, and being for each other, not looking at it as a division thing, but saying, look, together as a generation, we've got to move forward and we've got to do it by taking care of each other, promoting each other, uh, listening to the Lord for each generation. And I think, I think God's doing big things. That's good. I will end that by saying, I think we both need each other, the generations to work together. So uh, let's see, let's wrap this up. Let's have us tell you all you can about King's company, how to get a hold of you, how to get information about the school or anything else you want to share with my audience. So, yeah, I would say the best way to get in contact with the King's company, maybe the most simple way would just be to go to our Facebook page, which is the King's company and send us a message. Let us know, Hey, I listened to the podcast with Matt Guybe on the kingdom corner. And I want to learn more about the school. And what we'll do is we'll have somebody on our team actually get in contact with you for a phone call. Uh, We believe that it's good to have phone conversations and one-on-one conversations so that we can really hear your heart, learn what it is that God's doing in in this season of your life and see if maybe we can be helpful and be a beneficial avenue of growth for you. And if not, you're going to get encouraged and built up and ministered to. So I would say, yeah, the, the easiest way to get a hold of us would just be go to our Facebook page, shoot us a message, and then uh, we'll get somebody to contact you and we'll move forward from there. And I would, I want to add, unless this has changed, there's still for a, you know, what, maybe not even the cost of a cup of coffee a day, there's still available the King's Company a group coaching site that you can sign up for for a monthly fee, correct? Yes. Yeah, so the King's Company group coaching 
is where we've got some of our coaches who are training Monday through Friday every week live in a Facebook group. The cost for that is 47 a month. So definitely less than a cup of coffee a day for the month. Yeah. So you can sacrifice the coffee, jump into group coaching and get built up with some some good spiritual meat. All right. Wow. Thank you very much, Tyler. This has been fantastic and uh, God bless what you're doing. And uh, I look forward to seeing even more in the future. Thanks, Matt. Thank you. Hey, thank you for being a part of the Kingdom Corner. Make sure you click that subscribe button so you get notified every time we release a new episode. Welcome to the family. Thank you.